0: Hello and welcome to The Scriptures Are Real. This is the podcast where we talk about elements of the scriptures that have helped them become more real to us and apply them to our lives more because we believe that helps us draw more power out of them and we need all the help we can get. I'm your host, Kerry Muelstein, and I'm so happy to have, it's really an honor and a privilege to have with me today, uh, Dr. John Tanner. Thanks for being with us, Dr. Tanner
1: i'm happy to be here this is exciting
0: well let me uh, tell our audience just a little bit about uh, and is, is it right if i call you john here on air sure, absolutely
1: you please come okay to
0: john. uh i'll i'll tell the audience a little bit about you and then we'll ask you to tell us more about yourself so uh john w- began teaching in florida state uh but eventually came here to byu uh, he's an expert in milton uh, has written about the articles and books about milton uh, he taught here at BYU. He was also an associate academic vice president here uh, and then the academic vice president and uh, has also served uh, as a, a mission leader or mission president and as the president of BYU Hawaii, where I, I used to teach as well. We didn't overlap, but uh, we overlapped here in, in Provo. I think you were the uh, probably the associate uh, academic or I think maybe academic vice president when I first came um, uh, but anyway, uh, and he's been the chairman of all sorts of other things and uh, has a wonderful family, so that's that's plenty of stuff. But what else should we know? Tell us more about yourself.
1: Well, uh, besides that, I, I, I love teaching and I love I love my students when I teach, and so all the administrative things that I've done are are great, but they in some ways they they've taken me out of the classroom, which is my first love. Yeah. I'm also one of thirteen children. So I, w- I was from a very big family in Southern California, uh, a, a very big, happy family, a Latter-day Saint family. And, so where uh, where
0: in Southern California?
1: In South Pasadena. Oh, okay. Near Pasadena.
0: Yeah, yeah. That, uh, well, my wife had some family from Alhambra, right near there. And, oh, that,
1: uh, they, that used to be in our ward, Alhambra.
0: Oh, nice. And yeah. I, I mean, I lived in LA. I mean, I, I did my PhD at UCLA, plus I served my mission in Riverside. So all that area, I, I love that area, but anyway. Yeah.
1: We do too. So, and then I did my PhD at Northern California. So I got to love both both ends of the state. Nice. And, uh, and uh, the PhD was uh, was in English, and that's that's where I've I have a, a lot of interest still. As you said, I I like Milton. I like religious literature, and I really lo- love this little passage of part of the Book of Mormon. We're going to focus on today.
0: Well, wonderful. And that's the joy that we get to teach again, right? I, that That's the irony of universities is that you take the best teachers and you make them administrators, which they don't love. And, the, and, and you take them out. of You know, hopefully we always get back to the classroom. But even if we don't and so on or you're retired now, uh, hopefully we still find opportunities like this to teach because that's what's just fun.
1: That's exactly right. In fact, when I became academic vice president, I said I want to be an academic academic vice president i want to continue to teach and and to to write about literature and things that i care about not just memos all day
0: yeah so, <laughs> well and you um, actually wrote some beautiful literature uh to the faculty uh that uh made a real difference uh for me uh, anyway it was uh, to inspire us but it was very beautiful and, and literary and one of your uh, former students is uh, now the academic vice president is kind of continuing that trend in in a an yeah, eloquent was, way as well. And uh, I think uh, inspired by you in doing that. And it's it's blessed, you and he have blessed a lot of us. So thank you for that.
1: Well, thank you. And it's wonderful to have one of my students now doing that. And when I came back from BYU-Hawaii, actually, uh, the president, then Kevin, uh, asked me if I would edit some some works about BYU, which, which I've yeah. done. But, you know, um, I That's said, right I'll here. do that if you'll let me teach again and not require somebody else's slot to get to, to, I don't want to take <laughs> the, anybody's slot, but I would really, like to teach a class. And so he let me do that. Oh, that's wonderful. Not a little bit of the Book of Mormon. Yeah,
0: yeah I've, got, I've got the book right here. I'm teaching this new course at BYU where our students are required to take this. So I'm in this book uh, a couple times a week, every week. So it's it's beautiful. Oh, good.
1: Yeah. That was my hope. My hope was it would call the university home to its mission. And, and give a real sense of that mission, both to faculty and students. So. I
0: think it's doing that right now. I, I really do. So, well, thank you. Great. We have so many wonderful things we're doing to try and get word out to everybody and, and give everyone great opportunities. So we're going to do a live Isaiah broadcast uh, where we'll talk about to understanding Isaiah and answer questions. That's going to be on Tuesday, February 20th. As we're getting into all of these Isaiah chapters, I want to remind you of my book, Learning to Love Isaiah, which has Book of Mormon highlights in it, an index that helps you see every time uh, the Book of Mormon talks about Isaiah, where you can go to learn about it. I think it will really help you get more out of your study of the Book of Mormon and Isaiah. Isaiah is... Like the fourth largest book in the Book of Mormon, it's incredible how much Isaiah there is in there. And this book will help you, and it's on sale right now at SiegelBook.com. You can get, I think, it's twenty percent off. So go to SiegelBook.com and get "Learning to Love Isaiah." It will really enhance your Book of Mormon study. On Friday, the twenty-third, and the and Saturday, the twenty-fourth, we're going to have a Book of Mormon workshop where we'll go over some of the Isaiah things and and uh, I, uh, Nephi's commentary on that and Jacob's teachings about the scattering and gathering of Israel and just that topic in the Book of Mormon in general, and also King Benjamin, we are going to have a workshop in Missouri with Alex Baugh, who knows more about Missouri church history than anyone in the world, and that's going to be uh, April 4th through the 7th, so we'll incorporate General Conference into that, and then uh, we're going to have a church history tour that will be uh, taking place March or May twenty seventh through June fifth. You can learn about all of these at Tsar. So that's T S A R dot website. Well,
1: we're going to talk about uh, Nephi's Psalm or Nephi's yeah. lament. Is that what we're going to do today? Yeah, say, I hope so. That's a, one of my favorite passages in the Book of Mormon.
0: Well, I I hope you'll uh, take us there. So if you wouldn't mind, and you can share. Uh, any, any of your own writing on it or whatever you'd like, but, uh, yeah, let's jump in. So uh, the audience may not know that, that, uh, a very common name for second Nephi chapter four is Nephi's Psalm. Uh, and I'll let you explain or I can, whichever you'd prefer why, why we might call it that. But, uh, I think it's a very apt name for it. Uh, but that's where, where you know, in our podcast, we're not going to cover the whole, uh, reading assignment for come follow me. We're going to deep dive on a couple things. So we're just going to jump in on chapter four
1: that sounds just great and i tend to call it nephi's psalm some people yeah, call me it a lament but it's it's such a wonderful moment in the book of mormon because up to this point we've sort of seen nephi so often as the one who is who is always doing the right thing we yeah. might feel a little bit like his brother his older brother this, here's this perfect son you know yeah. And this, this always got the, the right level. answer always
0: upbeat always powerful always faithful right yeah
1: this one we get a little bit of the inside glance uh toward Nephi
0: yeah one yeah, of that's beautiful
1: one of the things when i've ri- I've written a little bit about this as you may know but um one of the things that really stood out for me when I was studying this is that it is where it comes in the narrative mm. it comes right after. Nephi's father has died. Now I'll just think about that. Ne- Lehi has kept this family together by the skin of his teeth actually. I mean he's had to yeah. really work to do that. And right when he dies Nephi is facing brothers who want to kill him, fratricidal brothers. Right. And he's charged with leadership of this little colony and and his brothers are resisting that. And so he feels that Loneliness, and he feels angry. I mean, he's he's driven to anger for in uh, toward his brother, and then that's what I think. One of the temptations is he he has to fight in this in this uh, psalm or or lament. Anyway, I just found it really kind of very fascinating where this comes in the Book of Mormon. Just just to remind our audience that it it he says, and it came to pass after my father Lehi had spoken unto his household, and Lehi is this. Patriarch who can't quite give up on his family. You see yeah. his love for that that family. In fact, even with Laman and Lemuel's kids, if they're not going to be righteous, well, he'll bless his grandkids, and and he promises them blessings to Laman and Lemuel. If if the if the children are are going to um, go off the deep end, well, he says, I will I will try to give you the blessing then. So here's this father who loves this extended family and who's held them together. And now he dies and Lehi and Nephi is now facing the whole situation alone. What I like to call the loneliness of leadership to use one of President Gordon B. Hinckley's favorite phrases, the loneliness of leadership. Here he is uh, facing a very, very difficult situation. And and the one who's held the family together now is gone.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, if we look at this this whole context, so you're right, we we've seen the beautiful teachings to his sons and right here in the beginning of this yes. chapter, his grandson's right and then his death. And the next thing you, we're going to read when we get to chapter five is the account of his brothers want to kill him again and they have to separate and they they'll be mortal enemies. this The family splits forever, and they'll be mortal enemies for the rest of of Nephi's for the life rest right
1: of the Book of Mormon.
0: Yeah. And and he's about to to write that. I mean, as he finishes writing about what yeah. happened to his father, he has to know the next thing he's about to write is what happened next, which is this terrible schism that probably still is a huge pain in his heart. And so it's that I think it's, it's the sandwich in between is, is naturally is like, oh, my father died and this is what happened next. And here's how I feel about it. And it's almost like he he Excellent. dumps on the page the feelings he felt when all that was going on
1: yes he's writing this much later uh yeah he tells us when he makes the plates but but he's remembering i think you're absolutely right i think he's recalling exactly the emotions he had just before after his father dies and just before the family separates and by the way i think there's a wonderful lesson there when he's fighting with anger maybe one way to deal with um what i call habitual sin or or with Problems that that beset you, he calls himself encompassed by temptation. Is to get out of there, get out of the situation. Hmm. Uh, he, he he flees into the wilderness again, and maybe that's the best solution for for right now. Rather than fight his brother, just to get away from it.
0: Yeah, yeah, and there so, are times where, where you do nice, just need to leave.
1: I think there's a nice spiritual lesson for us on that point. I used to tell my daughter who would, would struggle with with some one of the ones that struggle with a little bit of depression, should throw herself on the floor and feel terrible. I said, I'd say get up and let's walk around the block. Let's just let's get get off the ground. let's, let's change change your position physically and, yeah. and that can help you change spiritually.
0: Yeah. And there are actually some chemical and physiological reasons for that, but I think also some emotional and and spiritual ones, like just that change of perspective, change of of view. And I I think you're right. There's a great, I never thought of it that way, but there's, there's a great metaphor in there.
1: So, so after, after his father dies, he tells us about some of the struggles that he had. And I think you're absolutely right that this, that this was, uh, though it was written later, this is reflecting, some of the feelings he was having at the time, and I think he's recalling them for us and opening him, opening up his heart to us, which is one of the reasons I love this. It's just so intimate, and we don't get that in in the rest of the rest of Nephi's account so much as we do here. Now we get him telling us what's really going on and in it's inside of him.
0: I, I agree, and you know, I I I think it's interesting placement. So again, you know, chapter four. You've had chapter three in between, yeah, but. But Second Nephi 2, which he's just recorded also, has yes. all this business about um, if you're if you're going to have joy, there will be sorrow opposition. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the way President Nelson, uh, I'm just paraphrasing, but the way he put it once, like if we if we don't want to have uh, sorrow at someone's death, then we're just going to have to stop loving. Right. That's I mean, that, you're if you want to avoid the the the. The pain and the sorrow—you're going to have to not have joy. Well, we've got someone here who has had a lot of joy in his life, but at this moment, I, I, it's almost like he's reopening the wound. Right? He's he's reliving the the sorrow that he's had as well, and it's a very real sorrow. And uh, and he opens that wound up, and uh, and it flows anew. And uh, we can see that that uh, part of the reason he can have. So much joy is because he he loves so much, but that loving so much has also opened up up to this sorrow that he's feeling at I this time. I think that's
1: such a valuable point and one that we need to think about more in the church that, that there is a cost um, for for our our uh, our loving people so it so deeply, and that yeah. there is sorrow when they die. Then, the, in fact, the scriptures. Uh, authorize us to feel to weep for those that die because we love them so much, and that's it what the, the Lord says in the Doctrine and Covenants. He says you should live together in love, and because of that, you'll weep for those that that, that as they pass away, and that um, that opens us up to suffering. But that's that's the flip side of uh, of living together in
0: love and and that's godly, I mean we certainly see that in in the book of Moses with the God right that uh, there's
1: no way around that in fact the book of yeah. Moses is is a good example when the Lord weeps yeah. because because his children are violating their covenants and and, and and Enoch says, how is it that you can weep And the Lord explains that it's because he loves he loves the kids the yeah. his children so much yeah and I how can I not
0: sure. weep seeing these shall suffer right yes, so, that's right yeah.
1: So I just think this, this, uh, this, these scriptures here are absolutely just beautiful. And I don't know if you know that I, I actually have written some hymns myself based on these scriptures. Uh, it seems to me that these scriptures are some of the great outpourings in the Book of Mormon of personal anxiousness and personal anxiety, but also. Of joy and rejoicing because of because of the, his testimony, uh, it's a it's a kind of lyrical outburst, and I think we need more. We need people. I'm not I'm not the best one, but I think we need more people to write hymns that embed scriptures into our souls. That's what that's what the hymns can do. I mean, yeah. we've sung together. Uh, Abide with me to zeventide. We haven't. We didn't walk the road to Emmaus. But we've done that many times in our scriptures because, because we have uh, remembered them in our hymns. And I think we should we should write sing more hymns based on Book of Mormon scriptures.
0: So, uh, amen to that. Do you have any that you can share with us? Or
1: a few years ago, I was I was actually going to give a little talk because I'd written a, a hymn for the hymnal when it just came out. And so but I feel like I hadn't written many. So I wrote a couple of a couple of hymns based on this psalm of nephi let me one of them was sung at the priesthood meeting and it was based on um on um finlandia the tune finlandia which we use in the in the church for be still my soul oh, okay now, the reason i chose that is it has there's a kind of a 10 line uh verse uh that fits uh that fits uh uh nephi's outburst here which is uh which is Ten, ten lines. I mean, ten syllables. So when he says, "Awake, my soul, no longer droop in sin." Awake, my soul, no longer droop in sin. That's a perfect iambic pentameter line. Right. To use English, kind of an English way of talking about that. So there are ten syllables, and they all have the beat of da dum da dum da dum da dum, and they also have a med- a pause in the in the in the middle after four after four da beats or two, two uh, little dadams, awake my soul, no longer droop in sin. And so I took that form and tried to use it throughout a hymn text that I was writing. And the only one I could find that that fit that was uh, Finlandia, uh, uh. still my soul. And so I wrote this and then and then uh, Ron Staley set it to music and performed it at a priesthood meeting, which which I was just so pleased that he did.
0: Uh, well, wonderful.
1: Well, you can find it online. It's called I Love the Lord. This is, Do you want to hear how it goes? Yeah,
0: yeah, I would like that very much.
1: Okay, so I love the Lord. Awake my soul. I love the Lord. In him, my soul delights. Upon his word, I pondered day and night. You can see I, I have that little right. break in the middle of each line. He's heard my cry, brought visions to my sleep, and kept me safe or deserts in the deep. This is all based on images that are in that are in Nephi.
0: Yeah, I can hear them.
1: Um, He's filled my heart with his consuming love and borne me high on wings of his great dove. So the first the first uh verse is all this upbeat. It's a it's and you see that in, in uh in uh, Nephi that he has there's there's some real positive things, but then he struggles. Then he then the the second verse goes. Yet oft I groan, O wretched man am I. That's a marvelous phrase. It's also in Romans. Uh, mm. O wretched man am I. So mm-hmm. it's Paul. It's Paul. Paul gives a similar sentiment, and both of them find a way out of that wretchedness through Christ. He's the he's the avenue out. Oh, yet oft I groan, O wretched man am I. My flesh is weak, and I'm encompassed by a world of sin which holds me in its thrall if I give in and to temptations fall. Then strength grows slack and I, I waste in sorrow's veil. My peace destroyed, my enemies prevail. That's hmm. the second verse. And then the third one begins this. in, in the way Ron Sely kind of wrote this is it kind of rolls across the, the, the text. It's really quite wonderful. Awake, my soul. Awake my soul, no longer droop in sin, rejoice my heart, and let thy me praise again the Lord my God who is my rock and stay to keep me strict upon the straight his straight plain way. Oh let me shake at the first sight of sin, and thus escape my foes without and in. Mm. So that's the my first that was my first attempt at paraphrasing. Or one attempt at paraphrasing Nephi's psalm in a hymn. And I was so thrilled when they sang this in priesthood meeting. It was right after President Hinckley was talking about being pure. And so it fit so beautifully there. Uh, I just, I just I you know when you're an, when you're you're seeing your own work performed, but knowing it was really Nephi's work. Yeah. It was just it's just exciting for me. So well, was, I would guess it was fun. exciting
0: for Nephi too. So what, what, do you remember what uh year that was? So if people wanted to go back and listen to uh, that, they could. They can
1: find it. It's, it's pretty easy to find uh, online. You can find the tabernacle choir. Uh, I mean, the, more, the BYU men's chorus. If you just look under, I love the Lord. Uh, I love the Lord is the title of the work. And if you look under that, you can find it. I think it was, I think it was 2000 and i don't remember now exactly uh, that's Whenever, all right
0: we'll we'll find it and, and link it in the show notes
1: okay and um and i just i i think people it, it's really fun to hear that uh wake my soul anyway the other the other one i wrote at the same near the same time i wrote to a a little folk tune which was um um and it's called sometimes my soul and and anyway it's it's also inspired by nephi's hymn and it's really nephi but again it has a it has a falling part and a and a part that rises the the way that they musicians talk about music is it's called aaba and so there's a in b they kind of kind of fall so this goes right. sometimes my soul in deep affliction cries out o wretched man am i when i'm encompassed by temptation when flesh is weak and I comply. And this this one, the tune goes, Sometimes my soul in deep affliction cries out, Oh wretched man am I, when I'm encompassed by temptation, when flesh is weak, and I comply. Yet still I know in whom I've trusted. Then you can see it right goes yeah. up. Yeah. He's filled, he's heard my cries by day and night. He's filled my heart with sweet with love consuming. He's Born me, my soul to mountain height. That's the first verse, and then the second one is then Nephi. Nephi, you, he kind of goes back, and I think that's true for people that are struggling with habitual sin. They, when I was a bishop, they, they they just it's the same thing, and it repeats again and again. And they're they're trying to get out of that pit. They need Christ to help them, and they, they may slip back, you know. And mm-hmm. so then Nephi says. Then why in sorrow should I linger? My strength grows slack and my heart groan. I'll not give way to grief and anger for God's great mercy have I known. Then this great line, awake my soul and cease from drooping. Rejoice my heart and praise thy God who is the rock of my salvation. I'll strictly walk grasping his rod. And then I conclude with that again, awake my soul and cease from drooping and rejoice my heart, and praise Thy God. Every one of those images are in Nephi's psalm, except for one, and that's uh, grasped by rod, which is also in Nephi, but right. it occurs before the psalm.
0: Yeah, oh, that's it, it, beautiful. So that's that's beautiful.
1: I, it's just an invitation for for others to uh, to write to write uh, uh, hymns. We need hymns. That one was was performed. It was it was set uh, by uh, Newell Daly, and and there you can find a performance. He just I just checked with them the other day that it it's uh, if you look under sometimes my soul under and Newell Daly, you'll you can find a little performance of that.
0: It's oh, wonderful!
1: Not, it's not quite as easy to find as that other one, but
0: well, we'll work on finding it. So okay. wonderful. Now, uh, I, I want to keep going, but maybe I just want to clarify uh, just in case there's any confusion with our audience. I I love the lesson you're drawing where you're saying, um, you know, people who are are struggling with sin and habitual sin and trying to break out of it and so on and so on. Um, but I don't think by that you're saying that uh, Nephi was maybe in the kind of habitual sin that, that many people would think of when we say that. But I think Nephi is saying uh, that at the place of holiness he is. Yes, he still has things that he thinks he's struggling with, and and I mean the way I read this, it's that he gets upset when people are trying to kill him and his family, and uh, and I I I have to say, you know, well that seems justified to me, but uh, but Nephi is in a holier place than I am. So for for him, as we all progress in holiness, we get to to where I know I I look at things now that uh, ten years ago I thought were just fine, and now I say. Why well, did I think that was fine? That's weird, right? I, what was wrong with me? And and I think that's a sign we're progressing. We're becoming more godly, which is what this is all about. Well, Nephi, so Nephi he, is far oh, enough ahead of me in that exactly. that that it's a different thing. His habitual sin is a very different habitual sin than mine, or it's people who are coming to see you and you're a bishop and so on.
1: Yeah. So I I wanted to reach out to uh, to people that are on our level too. Yes, so I, I agree. can learn lessons from nephi but i think nephi is struggling with he talks about anger yeah and you can imagine that that you know this is a person who has a who is strong but he might be a little quick to anger too he says he says um he says here awake my soul no longer droop in sin rejoice my heart and, and 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 give no more place for the enemy of my soul do not anger because of my enemies and you can imagine he's got his brother his own brothers wanting to kill him
0: so yeah and probably to kill his family as well and, right? and
1: his family
0: yeah.
1: and and destroy the everything he cares about and that the lord has promised to him so it, it's no wonder he's if he has to struggle a little bit with getting angry at that and so yeah. when you've got the commandment to love your enemies how do you how do you deal with that that yeah uh, you know, anyway, so he says, uh, "Do not slack, uh, do not slacken my strength because of mine afflictions. Rejoice in my heart and cry unto the Lord that I will praise thee forever." I mean, he's he's coming to the Lord to to help him remake his heart. Yeah, and we all need that. Yes, and I think Nephi did too, even though he's this, he's far ahead of you and you and I, but. Still, we all need the Lord's help to help us on this journey back to heaven. And they're all things that he talks about being encompassed by temptation. And yeah. I don't know what they were, but I suspect one of them might have been anger.
0: Yeah, it seems like it. I, I, at least the way both the context that we've talked about and the things he's saying here, as you said, like my soul, anger and so on uh, uh, because of his enemies. Uh I know, Lord, wilt thou make a way for mine escape before mine enemies? Uh, I, I, it seems to me pretty clear that at least one, if not, I think the major thing that he's struggling with here is that, man, when they're trying to kill me, they're trying to kill my wife, trying to kill my children, Sam and his family and Zoram and his family uh, Joseph and his family, that makes me mad, right? Yeah. Well, uh, I, I can understand that reaction. Uh, and so, I, but what I love what you're doing is that the, the principles apply for all of us, wherever we are in our path towards holiness or godliness, or however you'd like to say that wherever we are, the principles are the same. You, you have to recognize, okay, I'm struggling with this. That bothers me. And then cry out to God for help and he will help you and then when he's helped you with that then you'll find yourself on a higher level and you'll say oh wait now this is the thing now that i never even knew was bad and now i recognize it's bad so now uh, i need help with this and then you'll get to another level right and that is the path of uh, the, the mortality the
1: path of mortality and the path toward heaven and the yeah. progress and our progress back to uh, to overcome Temptation, which is what he's—he keeps talking about temptation. I love—I love the other line, another line that he—he he uses here, where he says, "Help me, O Lord, to shake at the very appearance of sin." Yeah, isn't that it,
0: might be my favorite line in in all of uh, Second Nephi. But
1: isn't that a great uh, plea? Yes, for, for all of us that we, if because sometimes I—I've—I've I've said sometimes we. We we go to the places we shouldn't go, and we yeah. you know think of dieting. Um, maybe you don't you don't open the refrigerator to look at that chocolate cake because that's what you've sworn not to eat. You know yeah. to shake it you, to shake it. The appearance of sin is to is to avoid uh, even even the temptation. I love I love that phrase. And you said it's one yeah. of your favorites too.
0: Yeah, and I think it denotes. Um this idea that God has helped us become someone who doesn't desire something that we at one point desired, right? We all have a fallen nature. There's a carnal nature yeah, inside yeah, all yeah. of us. And so we desire things that we should not desire. It's inherent to the kinds of beings we are, but God can change us to beings that don't desire it. So maybe I can just share like, uh, since you were talking about the cake, just a, a personal kind of thing that's going on uh, for me right now. I, My wife and I kind of typically do this. We, uh, you know, Christmas time comes and everyone's bringing you all sorts of treats and you eat the treats and you go to all sorts of parties and so on. I'm not a guy who does a ton of sugar, but by the end of, of Christmas, I find myself craving sugar, right? And there's a physiological reason for that. You're feeding the bacteria that want sugar, so they make you want it more and more and more. And so we always just say, you know, just to to get back to normal, we're, we're not crazy about this, but to get back to normal, the first couple of weeks of January, we just do no sugar, right? And, and so I'm at the point now where I've just kind of finished where I'm like, okay, I'm done with that. If someone gave me sugar, I'd take it. But I'm, I'm at the point where when someone offers, my stomach actually feels a little bit sick at the thought of eating a cookie, right? Yeah. Uh, because I've now, having kind of cleansed that out of my body, now my body shakes at the appearance of sugar. Don't worry, I'm sure I'll eat something and I'll get right back there. But because uh, I'm not fanatical about this, but I just kind of did a little detox. But I think that that's an, an allegory for what uh nephi is telling us spiritually right we can be changed by god to where something that just a while ago maybe we were craving and desiring and the carnal man and us really wanted now we can say ah that doesn't even sound appetizing at all that sounds terrible so for me there's great
1: hope in what you've just said and it's a great principle could i just af- offer another little illustration of that from my Please. time at, in at byu hawaii ah, um, one of the yes. great missionaries there was was Brother Cannon. And yeah. he really struggled with poi,
0: <laughs> poi. A lot of people do.
1: Yeah, <laughs> Poi, he said, tasted like sour glue to him.
0: Yeah. But
1: he knew that the people wanted to give him poi, and it was really important for him to be able to eat their poi. So he prayed to the Lord, not just to change, to change not just his desires and not just his uh, um well, to change his desires, to change his tastes, yeah, uh, isn't that so that he didn't what, just have to that's suffer what through He 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 learned to love poi, and that was a, an answer to the Lord's prayer to change his taste buds. I think so often we we kind of need that transformative power of the Lord to help us desire what we want to desire. We know with one heart part of our hearts, this is what we want to be, but sometimes we. We need we need the atonement to remake us into the kind of people that the Lord wants us to become, and I think that's what Nephi is praying for here. Help me to shake at the very appearance of sin. I don't even want to. I don't even want to feel that temptation anymore. Um, anyway, I love what you just said about about your your purge, their cleansing your your uh, taste buds of sugar. And I think that's happened with Brother Cannon and Poi.
0: Yeah. And and hopefully it's happening with all of us and uh, our, our other, you know, I'm not saying that like sugar is a sin, by the way. I want to be no, clear I'm about that. Either. But we do have other uh, pleasures of the flesh desires, we could say. You know, that's one yeah. of the things that President uh, Nelson has talked about, that the world tells us that we'll get Peace and rest if we pursue prosperity. No, no, no. Possessions, power, popularity, and pleasures of the flesh, right? Yeah, he gives us those, these four Ps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and so that there are other pleasures of the flesh that we naturally desire that we can stop desiring uh, because God will change us. And that's exactly what Nephi is asking for, again, at a higher level than I'm currently at. But, but it will be an unending question as long as we're in mortality, right? As long as we're on this path to holiness or to godliness.
1: So that's that's for me why this is such a wonderful reflection and kind of meditation on the atonement. Because yes. the atonement gives us the promise that we can not only be forgiven of our sins, but that we can come not to like, we can, not, we can come not to desire, to like, I mean, to like poi, uh, to, be, to have our tastes. Uh, transformed to have ourselves transformed into the kind of person that desires righteousness yes that that is what we all long for and hope for and 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 what nephi shows us is possible even nephi i mean nephi who was who was a lot closer to perfection than you or i are but um he he prayed that the lord would make him a new person and that's the possibility. That is the great promise of the atonement, that the that the Savior can make us into new creatures in in Christ. Frankly, that's what I think Paul is struggling with and talking about in Romans chapter 7, which is where you said the same phrase of oh, uh, uh, when he, he says, oh, wretched yeah. man that I am. Who will deliver me from this? He says, I do one thing, but I, I, I condemn my myself for doing it it's something i don't love and i think that the great hope there is the hope that christ can help us become new people in christ i just yeah. i just find that such a wonderful promise i i said it's it's actually one time i said it's actually written in blood the blood of christ so it's a promise that's immutable yes that the Lord can make us into celestial people think celestial well we yeah. can do that <laughs> But we can become celestial through the atonement of Jesus Christ.
0: And 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 all the phrases you're using, they're the same phrases as we were talking about this, uh, that were coming to my mind, which can are, we can often sum up in one phrase, which is being born again, right? Yep, exactly. Uh, that That's what we become a new creature or we are born again by God. And it's not a one-time thing, right? We can be born again on one thing, like, okay, now I no longer desire pornography or something. And uh, now I no longer desire... Um, popularity or something along those lines, right? Uh, each of those is a born again moment when we are changed. Now I can forgive this person who I couldn't forgive before. I
1: couldn't forgive before.
0: Yeah. yeah that's being born again.
1: Popular. I want to be popular. Yeah. 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 There, there are a lot of these, these, these temptations we have are for, for kind of things that we sometimes don't recognize always what we do in our heart of hearts, but yeah. we, we don't talk about as, as, needing to become celestialized but certainly that desire to be to be popular is one of those things or desires to be to be um or the need to forgive people that we just we just we we want to forgive and we have to forgive before we can before we can enter into the kingdom of god and become like him yeah
0: and, and as you talk about that atoning power, there's a, a a line in here that I also love. It's in verse 34. So yeah. this is after, you know, he said, please deliver me and have the gates be shut before me because my heart's broken and so on. And then finally, he says, oh, Lord, I have trusted in thee and I will trust in thee forever. And and I I, I don't think I'm reading too much into this line when I say what what I see in there is that Nephi is saying look I am calling out to you in faith if fully believing that you can help me with this issue you can change me because I've trusted in you before and it worked and we know of stories where Nephi trusted in him and it worked right um and and I think we can all say that we can all say you know there was a time where I struggled and I felt the comfort or maybe I used to struggle with this and I don't anymore and we can think of a time I trusted in God even if it's on a completely different issue and a completely different scale, I've trusted in God and I've seen it work. So whatever my big, terrible thing is right now, I can still trust in God. And I think that's what Nephi is saying here.
1: And I think that's such a powerful lesson of the atonement that it, it gets that deep. The atonement goes to the very depths of our soul because that's what needs to be fixed and changed for us to become more like our heavenly father and uh, I wonder if you have a, any insight into this. There's a phrase uh, near near that in 35 that says, the, the, "The God will give me if I ask not amiss." Mm. That's interesting. Interesting line. Do you have any any insights into that?
0: Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'm sure there are people with better insights, but I, I love that. In fact, if we we start at the beginning of verse 35, yeah, I know that God will give liberally to him that asketh. Now that's that's interesting. Uh, yep. a few chapters later uh, in in what Nephi composes because after we get uh, chapter five, then we've got Jacob's sermons and Isaiah's, and then we finally get back to Nephi's writings and pretty soon he's writing what we call the doctrine of Christ. And in there we're going to see one of the things he he talks about is you, you should ask um, right And uh, because God will answer. and he said that at the very beginning of the record. I want to show you that those who ask God answers and and so on. So this has been something, that's a theme in his life. So he knows that God will give to us if we ask. And then, but you say, he will give me if I ask, not a miss. And it, it reminds me of uh, Alma talking about, you know, God will, will give us if, if, uh, if I can't remember his exact phraseology, I'll, I might have to stop and look this up here, but, but it's the same basic idea. Like, but almost like, be careful what you ask for. Right. Uh, Cause God yeah, might yeah. give it to you, but, but he, but if it's, if it's the wrong thing, uh, then uh, often, I mean, sometimes he may, but if it's the wrong thing, often he won't. And it kind of reminds me of that promise that uh, we see in Helaman that Nephi, the other, the later Nephi gets, where God says uh, that He will grant everything that Nephi asks because He knows Nephi is only th- going to ask what God wants Him to ask.
1: Yeah, and I think that's again, it's another uh, coming back to this idea of. Creating ourselves a divine heart or a heart yeah. that burns he for the right thing. And so the Lord will grant us that because we will be asking, not amiss, but we'll be asking for the kinds of things that the Lord wants us. That's why it's important to pray, not only to know, to pray for things that you desire, but to pray, know, to know what you should pray for. Yeah. And what you should ask. I like the word liberally, too, by the way. Um, yeah. It it uh, it reminds us of James, and I one time yeah. did a, a little paper and uh, an exercise on where that phrase uh, "liberally" comes from. And th- it, another way of translating that would be "generously." Yes, he will give to us generously or mm-hmm. freely is another word for liberal It's sometimes used there. So anyway, he gives us freely, generously, graciously, abundantly.
0: Yeah. I mean, he wants to give us more than we're ready to receive. Honestly,
1: exactly, and so. But this.
0: Oh, sorry. Keep going.
1: Go ahead. No.
0: Uh, Well, I was going to take us back to what we were talking about just a second ago. So, if you want to keep going on that idea, let's keep going. And so
1: we need to. We need to. uh, Our hearts need to be open to all the things that he wants to bless us with, and that sometimes means that you need to not just try to confine the Lord to your kind of narrow limits. But to open yourself to be, to be taught in prayer and to be taught, um, be counselled by the Lord.
0: Anyway, yeah, Lord yeah, says, and I think that that dovetails perfectly with what we were. This. Yeah, yeah, and it, and it dovetails perfectly with what we were talking about just a moment ago. Uh, but I think we can look at it on an even larger scale. One of the things that we know about Christ that makes Christ Christ is that His will is swallowed up in the will of the Father. Right, we get that in the New Testament, we get it in the the Book of Mormon, He and He teaches it. So frequently and so powerfully, I only do what the Father has done. I only say what the Father would say. Uh, Basically, I only want what the Father would want. Right? He has. It becomes so godly that he has the exact same desires that God wants, and and that's the path we've been talking about, right? But that's why we wouldn't ask amiss when we have become so. Nephi is not saying I am at the point where I would never ask amiss, right? Which we get. later nephi uh he seems to be at that point and and nephi may by the time he's dead i don't know but um but he's approaching there and i hope that that's what we're doing where where we become so transformed born again as we've talked about that eventually uh, and Jacob uses the phrase, we reconcile our will to God's right, but where eventually we just want the same things God wants, because that's the kind of being we've become. And then, of course, God will give us so liberally because everything we ask for is exactly what he wanted to give us and help us with.
1: So uh, this touches on um, one of the points, I, which I think is that we're saved by our desires uh, in, in that we what we're trying to do is learn to desire what the Lord desires. Yes. Not just to do the things grudgingly to say, you know, grit your teeth and just say, I'm going to, that's why I don't think salvation is just by grit. I think you need to not just grit your teeth and say, I'm going to buckle down and do this. You want the Lord to transform you to become, so you can, so he can bless you with what you want, what he wants. And that's again. There's a, there's some wonderful scriptures in the in the doctrine and covenants about this that the Lord will will bless us according to our desires. And by yeah. that, I I have what the way I interpret that is is that that's this coming to desire what He desires. So I used to tell people that I don't think the Lord's going to uh, make us. Home teach your whole life if, if that's a curse, if that's something you don't like to do, or if you don't like to be a parent, you don't like to be a father or a mother or or parent. I mean, that's what the celestial kingdom is all about. It's not, again, it's not just just qualifying through grit and, and through determination to do the right thing. It's 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 being transformed. So you're loving the right thing, you're desiring okay. the right thing. You're hoping for the same things that the Lord is hoping for. That's that's the challenge of life, and that's what we're 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 trying to. That's what, who we're trying to become. And yeah, I think that's and what Nephi's telling us about here.
0: I agree, and I think that's part of why. Like, if you don't, if you haven't allowed the atoning sacrifice of Christ to change you to where that is what you want, you wouldn't want to be in the celestial kingdom. You'll, you'll be happy to go somewhere else because why would you want to spend eternity doing something you don't enjoy doing but if you have allowed the atoning sacrifice to change you to that point then then you'll just love being there and you'll be so happy to be there right it, it actually kind of reminds me of a, a man and i won't say his name because i don't want to embarrass him but a wonderful man in our ward who if you talk about him he says this kind of thing all the time like uh we'll talk about uh, going to help the uh, uh, lady in our ward who needs her weeding done, and he just will say, "Sounds like fun," and uh, you know, or we're going to go do this really hard thing. Oh, that sounds like fun, right? And he means it; he's not making it up. It's because he's become the kind of person who helping other people just makes him feel so good. It doesn't matter what the how hard and hot it is when you're weeding; it just sounds like fun to him, right? That's the kind of change that I think we're looking for.
1: That's the kind of change I want for myself, and yeah, I, I'd like to be more like this person. So yeah, that, me too. <laughs> so that, so that doing the right thing is fun and it is deeply satisfying to our soul. That's that's the transformative effect of the atonement that we should be striving for and praying for and hoping that the Lord will create in us those kind of that kind of new person in Christ yeah. to become like Christ, not just to to just grudgingly do what he did, but to actually become like him and love what he loves, love what the Lord loves.
0: Amen to that. That was a fantastic ending. So that
1: was, that uh, was just a lot of fun. I can, I resonate with your view of the gospel because
0: it's, it's mine too. Uh, well, uh, uh, that's why this is fun. And so, yeah, thank you for great. sharing all of this. It is just, so I will say this about this. This is good, clean fun, right? This is fun for me uh, to, to share uh, the gospel and, and learn from Nephi and John Tanner and others in this way. It's, it's just wonderful. And I'm sure our audience has had a similar experience. And so we hope if this has been uplifting for you, if this has been edifying for you, that not only will you you take it into your life and you'll go back in, we plead with you to go back into the scriptures and, and read it and study and tease out all of these things from there's so much more in that, that chapter. Get in there yourself and study it yourself. But we'd also encourage you to, uh, to share with others <clears throat> whether that's just uh, telling someone about it or emailing them or sharing it on social media or liking and downloading or rating and reviewing, whatever else, but please share this with others. And, and we'll also ask you uh, to, well, I want to remind you that we'll have another episode this week. That's going to be with Patrick Mason and uh, give you some things to look forward to next week when we get into this amazing uh, sermon, Jacob's sermon that is 2 Nephi 6 through 10 and uh, Dr. Andrew Skinner, Is going to be with us uh, for that and he is always fantastic and then we've got kind of a different and a special one we've got uh, dan Debenham. you you may or may not recognize that uh, name he is the host of uh, the producer creator and and host of uh, relative race Um, and he and i are going to talk because uh, jacob talks about uh, being cut off from the lord and so on and he and i are going to talk about lessons that we've learned uh, from watching these families that have been severed from each other and then rejoined what we've learned about being cut off from God and the ability to be rejoined with God. Uh, And I see in relative race, uh, some kind of uh, types and shadows of Christ actually. And, and uh, it helps me understand the atoning sacrifice better. And I I tie it into some things I've been studying and writing about later. So I think that's a really fun one. So we'll just invite everyone to tune into those next week, as well as uh, share the the great stuff that you've just heard from uh, John Tanner. So, Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Tanner, for being with us. I, I can't thank you enough.
1: Thank you so much. And all those things sound wonderful to me. And, uh, and you're right, relative grace of reunited families is, is, a, is a great metaphor for the gospel.